please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we shall be reading verses 1 to 41. Decided to do just a short sermon series on some of the sermons that we find in the book of Acts, and uh, this evening we shall be uh, looking at uh, the first sermon that we come across in this book, preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, after um, Jesus had been uh, uh, exalted uh, back up to heaven. So, let us hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that is the early Christian believers, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will Show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs 
that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What does this mean? What does this mean? That was the question that the uh, crowds asked in verse 12 when they, when they heard these early Christian believers telling them in their own uh, languages, their own tongues about the mighty works of God. They asked, what does this mean? And perhaps this is a question that you have asked before with respect to Christianity. Christianity, what, 
What does this mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is Christianity all about? What is Christianity? It's a good question to ask, and there are many good answers uh, to that question. And it seems to me that here in Acts chapter 2, we're we're given uh, one such answer. Here, uh, we have recorded for us what I think could legitimately be called the first Christian sermon. It's a sermon preached by the Apostle Peter, almost... 2,000 years ago, preached to a, uh, a large group of mainly uh, Jewish men who had come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the, uh, the Jewish feasts, the Feast of Pentecost. And so uh, the, the context is uh, quite different from our own, but... What Peter says here is of universal relevance because his sermon provides us with a broad overview of the essential elements of the Christian religion. Now, it uh, it won't be possible for me to cover everything in this uh, chapter this evening, certainly not in any great detail, but there are three uh, basic facts about the Christian faith that I want to draw uh, to your attention uh, from our passage. So, what is Christianity? Well, first of all, in the first place, Christianity is supernatural. It's a supernatural religion. In other words, the Christian faith comes from God. It originates in God. It is not the product of the imaginations of men. It's not been invented by men or derived from their various philosophical speculations. No, Christianity is a revelation of God. It is a supernatural revelation of the living God. And Its supernatural origins and character are made abundantly clear in our passage. At the start of the chapter, we read about the first Christians being together in uh, in one place on the day of Pentecost. There's only about 120 of them, we we know from the first chapter. So they're not a very large or or powerful group. They don't have much influence. They're, They're probably quite fearful as well. They've They've seen what happened to, to the Lord Jesus in, uh, in his being crucified. So there they are, 120 or so of them in this, in this one place, and all of a sudden we're told that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and this changes everything. This changes everything. These disciples start speaking in, in other tongues, in, in the languages of the various peoples who have gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and they are telling them in, in their native uh, tongues about the, the mighty works of God. And some attribute such an amazing phenomenon to, to drink, to new wine, but Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, 
stands up and insists that this is not the case. And he quotes from the Old Testament book of Joel. And in quoting from this particular passage in Joel, he says that what is happening is in fact the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Holy Spirit. He says this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, what Peter is saying here, amongst other things, is this. What you see before your eyes is not something that we have conjured up by our own devices. Far less is it something that's been brought on by excessive drinking. No, what you see before your eyes is something that God is doing. It's something that God has orchestrated. It's, it's God fulfilling a promise that he made in the past. It is a spiritual, a supernatural Phenomenon. It has come from above and not from below. That is what Peter is saying. And he gives voice here to the truth that the Christian faith does not begin with man. The Christian faith does not begin with us. It does not begin with human beings who then, by their own ability and intelligence, work their way up to God and discover who he is. No, The Christian faith begins with God. And then God is the one who comes down to us and makes himself known to us. The Christian religion did not begin with this small group of believers gathered on the day of Pentecost deciding to invent a new faith. It began with God. It began when he poured out his spirit in fulfillment of his promise. And it is by this spirit that God, through his word, makes himself known to you. That is what is meant when Peter, quoting Joel, talks about sons and daughters prophesying and young men seeing visions an old man dreaming dreams. This language of prophecy and of visions and of dreams comes from the Old Testament. And it describes the way that the prophets of the Old Testament came to know and to understand God and his character and his will and his purpose. It was the means by which God revealed himself to them. And so by saying that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. God is promising that he is going to make himself known. I'm going to open up the knowledge of who I am to all people by my spirit and through my words. What Peter is saying here is, by God's initiative, you can know God because he is making himself known to you. You can come to discover who God is, not because you are clever enough to work your way up to God, but because he, in his goodness, 
has chosen to reveal himself to you. And we must always start there. Christianity begins with God. God is the great presupposition of the Christian faith. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible never seeks to prove God. The Bible assumes God. God is the great axiom of the Christian faith, and everything is understood in the light of that truth. We understand ourselves in the light of the great truth and reality of God himself. And the Christian faith is a God-given faith. In the beginning, God created the New Testament church, we might say. It all comes from him. Its origins are divine. It is intrinsically, it is essentially supernatural. But secondly, and here I want to spend a bit more time this evening, Christianity is at its heart good news. It is gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is what we see as we come to the heart of Peter's sermon in verses 22 to 36. Here we see that Christianity, supernatural in its origins and in its character, Christianity is primarily about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And what we find in these verses is is Peter taking us on something of a a guided tour of the main aspects of Jesus' ministry. And so he talks about his life in verse 22, how Jesus was was a man who did many uh, mighty works and wonders and signs and thereby attested to the fact that he was more than just a man. He was God in the flesh. And then he goes on to talk about the death of Jesus in verse 23, how he was crucified by the hands of lawless men, but underneath the actions of men was the more fundamental purpose and will of God himself sending his son to the cross. And then he talks about Jesus' resurrection at some length in verses 24 to 32. And there he he says that this, this had to be. Why did it have to be? Because the scriptures had foretold that this would happen. There are other reasons why it had to be. Because Jesus paid the wages of sin by his death, and death therefore could not hold him. But the reason that Peter gives here, why Jesus had to rise from the dead, is because that's what Scripture had foreseen in Psalm 16. And he talks about how they are witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And then he talks about Jesus' exaltation, how he was raised up and sat down at the right hand of God. And then about how he, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, then poured out the Spirit. The Spirit has come from the Father and the Son in this new and powerful way at Pentecost. And there, crowning his sermon, is the statement in verse 36, and this is really what he's been driving at the whole time. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. This is the capstone of Peter's sermon. This is what he's been seeking to prove as he's preached about the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He's been seeking to prove the case that Jesus is both Lord and Christ by declaration of the Father. So here we have a summary of all that Christianity teaches about its 
central figure, Jesus Christ. Here we have a summary concerning Jesus' person. He is Jesus of Nazareth, a real man, but he's also Lord. And he, he lived a, a real life, a perfect life, testifying to his divinity, testifying to his messiahship. And he died on the cross according to the will of the Father, but then rose again and ascended and then sent the Spirit, and he now reigns as Lord over all. And there is so much, of course, that could be said about all of these various glorious aspects of the whole ministry of the Lord Jesus. But what I want to particularly focus on this evening, what I want you to notice in a special way, is how Peter's sermon emphasizes throughout what God has done in Jesus. That is where the focus is in Peter's sermon. It is on the action of God in Christ. Just look at a few verses with me. Verse 22. There he says that that Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. God attested to the truth of Jesus by doing many miracles through him. And then we're told in verse 23 that while Jesus was killed by the hands of lawless men, it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God was the one who took his son to the cross. And then we're told that it was God who raised Jesus up from the dead. And God who exalted him, and God who gave him the promise of the Spirit, and God who has made him both Lord and Christ. It is all about what God has done in Jesus. That is the preoccupation of Peter's sermon. Peter does not stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, men of Israel, let me now tell you what you need to do. Here are some rules for you to follow. Here is an ethic for you to live by. Now, there is a Christian ethic, but Peter does not say that here, does he? Peter stands up and says, men of Israel, let me now tell you what God has done. Let me now tell you what God, almighty God, has done in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the overriding emphasis of Christianity. Christianity says... See what God has done. See what Jesus Christ has done. See what he has accomplished. The emphasis of every other religion is on you and on what you need to do to work your way up to the divine. The emphasis of Christianity is on God and on what God has done for you. And what has he done for you? I mean, what is the significance of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and exaltation? What does it all mean? What's it all about? Well, just notice what gave rise to to the heart of Peter's sermon. That quotation from Joel. And in that quotation... We're told that there will be blood and fire and vapor of smoke, verse 19, and the sun shall be turned 
to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, this is highly figurative language and there's an awful lot going on here, but basically what's being taught here is that the day of judgment is coming. The day is coming when God will judge you, when he will judge all people. And this is not good news for us because we are all sinners. We will be judged by God and found wanting. But of course, the quotation does not end there. It goes on, verse 21, to say, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, whilst God will condemn sinners on the day of judgment, he will save all of those who call on the name of the Lord. There is salvation from eternal death and eternal judgment for those who trust in the name of the Lord. That is the basic message of those last few verses of the quotation from Joel. There is judgment coming, but there is salvation for all those who call on the name of the Lord. And then who does Peter immediately go on to talk about? Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is that Lord. In other words, the significance of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and exaltation, the significance of all that God did in Jesus is a saving significance. He did all in order to save sinners. Jesus did all that he did and he does all that he does in order to save all who call upon him. All of which shows us that the God who stands behind Christianity, the God who has made himself known in the Christian faith and in the Christian faith alone, is the God of all grace. The God whose heart goes out to a sinful, disobedient and lost world. The God who has, in Jesus Christ, done everything that is necessary for your salvation. Christianity is good news. It is about what God has done in Christ to save sinners. And this gives rise to the, the third basic fact that we see from Peter's sermon this evening which is this, that Christianity demands the response. You see, while it is true that Christianity is about God coming down to you rather than you working your way up to God, and while it is true that Christianity is the good news of what God has done in Christ to save sinners, because there is nothing that sinners can do to save themselves. While that is true, this does not mean in any way that there is literally nothing 
for you to do. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself, but that does not mean that there is literally nothing for you to do. Just look at what the crowds ask Peter in verse 37, having heard his powerful sermon. What do they say? They are cut to the heart and they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter does not respond by saying, well, because salvation is all of God, which is true, there's nothing for you to do. Just just sit back. Just admire passively all that God has done. He doesn't say that. Because Christianity is not a religion to be admired so much as a religion to be embraced. And that is why Peter responds by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What shall we do? Repent. That is the response that Christianity demands of those You hear the good news of what God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. It demands the response of repentance and coupled with that, faith. It demands that you turn away from your life of sin and give yourself wholly to God. It demands that you engage in a complete 180 degree about turn. In your life, you hear quite a lot today about uh, people having having a lifestyle change, and by that they may be mean changing their job or uh, moving house or exercising a bit more or eating more healthily or having more me time. Well, if I can put it this way, there is no greater lifestyle change than to become a Christian. Because to become a Christian means that you say, instead of living for myself, I'm now going to live for Jesus. Because of all that he has done for me. Because he's gripped me with his love and grace. Now Jesus is going to be Lord of my life. And this is what repentance is. It's a death. And it's a resurrection. It's a death to the old life. And the old self. And a rising to a new life. And a new self. It is the most radical change symbolized in the rite of baptism. So what is Christianity? You could say much about what it is. But here we see these three basic truths. Christianity is intrinsically and essentially supernatural. It comes from God. It begins with God. God coming down to man saying, this is who I am. You can know me because I have chosen to make myself known to you. 
and the truth that he reveals about himself and what he's done is thoroughly good news. It's about the salvation that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ for sinners, for all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so it demands a response. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. So as we close, let me just ask you this. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you repented? Have you confessed before God that you are a wretched sinner, that you deserve to be condemned to death forever? Have you come to Jesus in faith, believing that he alone is the saviour of sinners, the saviour of all who come to him? If you have, then know for certain your sins have all been forgiven. They've all been nailed to the cross. And you have received the Holy Spirit. But if you haven't repented, then none of these things apply to you. None of them. God has not forgiven your sins. God has not given you his Holy Spirit. God will condemn you to eternal death. And so I simply urge you, as Peter urged the people on the day of Pentecost, save yourselves from this crooked generation. God promises that he will forgive you if you turn to him in faith. Will you believe that promise? Will you trust him and receive the Lord Jesus for there is salvation in no one else. Amen.